Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast, episode number 75. My name is Haley. I'm going to be your host today and every single day that you are tuning in. Guys, it has been so long since I've had a guest. Literally, my last guest was in January. That's how long it's been. Um, so it was way overdue, and I am so excited for today's episode. I had my friend Max come on, Max LaRock. He is a fitness trainer. Um, he's a sober gym owner, and we had such an incredible conversation. We have a lot in common, and we dive into everything from fitness to mindset, neurodivergent people. He talks about his experience with ADD and neurodivergent uh, brain patterns. We talk about sober dating. We get into trauma through childhood. When I tell you we touch everything, we touch everything. Sobriety, obviously, was a huge part of our discussion as well. And um, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a really insightful conversation. And I just love hearing other people's perspectives and experiences. So I want to say that this is probably one of the best episodes I could have asked for to have back as my hiatus of having people on the show because it feels really good to be able to talk to people and to hear their experience. And he is also the host of a podcast called Two Guys, One Pup. He has the most adorable dog. If you guys check out his Instagram, I'll leave it in the description, but his dog is adorable. And we had an amazing chat. So I certainly hope that you guys enjoyed today's episode. And without further ado, let's get into it right now. Max, I am so excited to chat with you. We were just saying before this, guys, I have not had someone on in six months. The last person I had on was like back in January. So um, we're breaking that pattern. So I'm really excited to have you here, Max. Hey, very excited to be here, Haley. I'm glad we connected over Instagram. Yeah. Instagram is so great for connecting with people, especially in the alcohol-free space. I don't know if you've noticed that. And we can obviously get into this um, more as we talk, but I feel like most, if not all of my friends that are alcohol-free sober, I've literally met through Instagram. I'm completely in the same boat. I, I got sober December 1st of 2020. So it was right in, uh, I'm in Edmonton, Canada, and we were right in the middle of our second lockdown. So everything was shut down, like a full-on lockdown here. Um, I don't know what it's like. I guess you weren't in Florida at the time, but we were in a full-on lockdown here. And to be honest, like the sobriety community that I've met over Instagram and Facebook was extremely helpful and extremely supportive, especially early on sobriety. So I'm very thankful for all the connections that I've made over Instagram this last two years. Yeah, same here. I mean, I can't even imagine. I guess that's a great place to start is um, your journey specifically with when you decided to give up alcohol. Was the state of how things were in Canada, was that a motivating factor for you? Or had you kind of contemplated that before everything shut down again? So a bit of a long story with this one. I'll try and keep it short and sweet. So I actually decided to originally get sober. It would have been September of 2020. So partially due to the state of the world. Um, so I co-own a gym here in Edmonton and obviously going into our first lockdown, it was quite the shock. Obviously no one expected to be in lockdown. And when your entire business revolves around being around people and all of a sudden you can't have people inside your business, it's quite the shock. So I really started having my head start spinning on me and realizing that I needed to change my ways in some way, shape or form. And this was more from the business standpoint. This wasn't even from the sobriety standpoint at this point. So I had reached out and hired a coach for online coaching, uh, like for a business mentorship coaching. And it was really early on in that program that it started to make me reflect on my relationship with alcohol and drugs. Um, and a lot of it was more so life coaching in the first couple of weeks of that program. And that's what made me really start to realize like, oh yeah, I don't have a healthy relationship with drugs and alcohol. It was something that I knew, but it wasn't until I started doing the work on myself in regards to the breath work, the meditation, doing daily affirmations, gratitude, having a morning routine. It really makes you realize that 
your shit's out of whack. Like <laughs> to put it politely, your shit's out of whack. And like going to bed, you know, 10 ounces of scotch in me each night, having a couple joints smoked throughout the day. Like, it's just, you never feel great in the morning. And then you wonder why your mood is shit the rest of the day. And then you wonder why your mood is shit the rest of the week and the rest of the month, the rest of the year, right? Until you have that external stimulus, which is alcohol or drugs in your system, you're always pretty miserable. So to be honest, that was when I first started really realizing that I had an issue with drugs and alcohol. Now, fast forward, it wasn't until a couple of weeks after that, um, one of the things that my business coach had me doing was just being authentic online. And it was very difficult for me to make content because of the fact that I was trying to promote a message of mental health and physical health and physical well-being, full well knowing behind closed doors, I'm drinking 10 to 15 ounces of scotch each night and smoking two to three joints every single day. So it was really difficult for me to actually produce good content and feel good about it because I knew that I'm putting out these good messages, but then behind closed doors, I'm not listening to any of my own messages. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the initiating factor. And then at the time I was with my ex-girlfriend and she really wanted a family. Um, she was Italian, really very much wanted a family, a lot of family pressure and things like that. And it was sort of a, we have to do this now kind of thing. And that was when I really kind of hit my moment of like, there's no way I can properly bring a kid into this world in the state that I'm in with my financial health, my spiritual health, my emotional, physical all of the above health, it was just not a good idea. So that was when I decided to actually get sober. Now, I won't go into details with this, but this ended up causing a massive rift in my relationship um, to the point where we actually ended because of the fact that I had exposed myself publicly, which wow. in her viewpoint, based off of past trauma and things like that, um, it exposed us, it exposed her family. Um, all kinds of just, to be honest, kind of nonsense that just hadn't been dealt with in her previous uh, relationships. And then it really came into fruition in our relationship. So technically I got sober out of love because it was definitely the strongest sort of emotional pull that I've ever had to wanting to get sober and having the desire to actually get sober was the fact that I knew I wanted to have a family and knew that if I was going to be a good father, that I couldn't do it in the state that I was. So that was the turning point. And then the rock bottom moment was technically when we actually, when she ended things with me shortly afterwards, because we went through about three weeks of trying to work through all the shit that came from this, but obviously that did not happen. And then kind of went into a slight custody battle over Lucy. And then that was one thing that I was very much like, I'm not budging on this one. Like it's either she's going to be you know, both of our dogs and we'll have her week to week or she's my dog. It's I lost the house. I lost everything. Like for full disclosure, I'm not leaving my dog. So there's one thing I'm going to stand up for here. It's my dog. So um, yeah, long story short, I ended up with Lucy and that was, she was definitely my rock throughout all of this. So anytime there was any sort of, uh, especially in early sobriety, any sort of desire to want to drink or want to smoke or want to relapse in any way, shape or form, having her there was extremely vital in actually keeping me sober. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the quick Coles notes over that. I could go a lot more into detail, yeah. but that's kind of the quick Coles notes of that. So I'm officially wow. as of today, uh, 559 days sober. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. That's huge. Thank that's really huge. Um, and there's so much to unpack with like what you just shared with me. I don't even know where to start. So it kind of sounds like at least for you, there were a couple of external things that happened that sort of unraveled and led you to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol, right? So you had that life coach and that sort of opened your eyes to things. And then the relationship fell apart. And it's really interesting hearing you speak about that because I feel like, especially when people change their relationship with alcohol, at least it happened in my situation too, is like, 
people that you thought were your friends or, you know, you thought were in your corner all of a sudden are not anymore. And it's not even that it's necessarily anything against them because I had lots of friends who I used to do nothing with, but drink. And then once I stopped drinking, I was like, wow, I really don't have that many friends because all we would ever do was like drink together. So it's kind of funny how something that helps you grow and evolve also strips a lot of you away. And is that, was that hard for you? Like kind of losing that, or did you trust that it was sort of part of the process? You know what, being in the lockdown, it actually made it a little bit easier, strictly in the sense that even if I wanted to go out to a bar or something, I couldn't, like they were like, yeah, we were fully, everything was closed. So it actually was kind of a, a great timing for that because there was no, I mean, I just simply couldn't do anything if I wanted to, but exactly like you said, it's not, it's not the friend's fault, right. For not wanting to be sort of a part of my life anymore. How old are you, Haley? Uh, I'm actually going to be 26 on Saturday. So I'm 25. Okay. So I just turned 32 in April. And I mean, to be honest, especially like people our age, um, it's shifting a little bit now, but people our age really aren't willing to ever admit that they may or may not have a problem with alcohol or drugs. Um, a lot of it, especially in this age is sort of like, well, no, I'm just having fun. And it's like, eh. yeah. if I was to ask myself that question, I was probably having fun till about 25 from 25 to 30. It was not fun. It was just that at that point I was addicted to having substance with me. Right. So it was numbing my emotions, numbing my feelings, numbing my thoughts, um, kind of all of the above. So it's, it's, I definitely don't sort of blame anyone who I don't discuss or I don't talk with anymore, who's not in my close circle anymore. It's just sort of the understanding, especially now almost 600 days in is the understanding of they're just not ready to conquer what they need to conquer. And that's totally fine. And that's one thing I like to spread on my social media is like my words might not resonate with you today, tomorrow, next week, maybe in five years from now, they will. Maybe in five years from now, you're going to go through through something and all these words that you hate me saying now that do resonate with you, right? Maybe you haven't hit that point where you, you're going to go through divorce, you're going to lose a career, you're going to lose your house, whatever it may be. But don't be so closed off to some of the opinions out there on social media about these topics, because in reality, it's going to catch up to you at one point in your life. And again, maybe not today, tomorrow, next week, but in a couple of years, it very well may. So it's, it's, you really have to take into consideration, like you have to, you have to want to do it more than anything for yourself. And maybe early on, like I said, Lucy was definitely my rock. So I had external factors to keep me sober. And I, one thing I tell people too, is like, if you can't do it for you just yet, do it for something else. Eventually it's going to become about you because you're going to have the clarity that comes with sobriety to realize this is about you. This is about your future and having a better life. But if you can't think, if you, if you're not in a place where you're, if you're in such a dark place right now that you can't do it for you, like find something, a parent, a loved one, a dog, cat, whatever the fuck you want, like do it for them because you have to make that decision at some point in your life. Yeah, that's powerful. And I totally agree with that because sometimes, you know, people say, well, the change has to be something that's motivated from within you, but sometimes to even get to that point, you have to think about something external. And I know a lot of people whose brains are wired that way, but you mentioned something else, um, when you were speaking that I thought was really interesting and that I agree with is that it was a lot easier during the lockdown because so my alcohol-free anniversary is, uh, December 31st, 2019. So oh, nice. it was just before like COVID started. Um, and I was like, this is actually a lot easier now because 
for me, it was interesting. Cause I kind of like, I worked at orange theory, which I don't know if you know what that is. It's like a fitness, you know, chain, whatever. Sorry, weird timing. I was, we have just recently started coaching the coaches of orange theory. I was no actually way. in orange theory, um, gym, like an hour and a half ago, coaching one of their coaches. So, no way. Wow. Timing, but yes. Yeah. That's so random. Um, yeah. So I used to work there and I decided I was going to, you know, I was just going to do a dry January. I was like, I'm just going to see how it goes. And they were doing this transformation challenge. So I was like, okay, I have an excuse to tell my friends like why I'm not drinking because I have this special challenge that I'm doing. So then I did the dry January and I was like, oh my God, like, this is incredible. I, I want to keep sticking with this. And it's funny because I felt some sort of level of shame about it. Like for the first six months where I didn't want to admit to anyone around me that I was choosing not to drink anymore. But I do think that COVID made it easier because that pressure of going out to a bar or socializing was not even an option. So I think in some ways we were blessed in that sense to just not have that pressure in the early stages. Cause I don't know if it would have gone differently for me if we weren't stuck at home. You know what I mean? Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I've said this a couple of times, like COVID again, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of, a lot of shitty things that came from COVID, but for me personally, my life is in completely different position than it was the beginning of COVID. And I don't like exactly what you said. I don't think it wouldn't be that way if COVID hadn't happened, because I would have never had the time, the space, the ability to actually make the changes that I made, because I would have been doing what I've been doing for the last 10 years, which was numbing out via work, numbing out via drugs, numbing out via alcohol. Right. And until I actually had the time and space to, to work on myself, I just didn't. Right. And I think that's the, the majority of society is that we get so busy. I say that in air quotes, busy with social media, busy with work, busy with friends, busy with dating, busy with all these different things. And all it is, is just an addiction to numbing out what your actual thoughts, feelings, and emotions are. Yeah. I I think it's true too. Like having that step away from everything and having everything pulled away from you, I think on a grand scale forced a lot of people to look inward, maybe for the first time in their lives, where they were just forced to really sit with themselves because that stimulus coming from every which way was reduced drastically. And it's like, okay, well, I know so many people and I know myself included, you know, really rethought, like, what am I doing? Why, why am I doing what I'm doing? Like, what is the, why am I like doing this action or just like following the crowd? Like, I think it was a wake up call for a lot of people. And like you said, not to discredit how horrible it was. Um, but I do think it was almost like a necessary, um, reset for a lot of people mentally and internally. And I think we're even seeing the changes of that now. I think even on a global scale, like consciousness has evolved, like, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is the beauty of slowing down, right? Actually having the ability to slow down, to recognize these things. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like a lot of people looked inward during this time and a lot of people looked outward and leaned that much more into drugs and alcohol and distractions Mm -hmm. and all the above as well. Right. But again, it's all a personal choice. And I mean, learning more about trauma and things like that, like personal choices, obviously it's a bit of a paradox because depending on what your upbringing entailed, right. If you came from an extremely abusive family, extremely, just extremely tough upbringing, right. Your choices are different than someone who had a quote unquote better upbringing, who is actively choosing to do these things. Right. So yeah. it's the, the brain is very interesting in that sense too. Once you're looking at trauma and past trauma and things like that, and just how our brain is actually wired. Yeah. Can we unpack that a little more? Cause I'm kind of curious about where your biggest mindset shift came. So you, you stopped drinking. Was there more of a progression that happened for you internally in terms of mental health, the more that you sort of separated from alcohol, or was it kind of just like, once you stopped, you were like, wow, you know, I've gained a lot of clarity. 
No, it was like, it was a long time. So I started using um, drugs and alcohol essentially when I was 17. Didn't start smoking weed until um, I was about 19, but I started drinking when I was 17. Cause again, that's what everyone in high school does. Right. And of course you want to fit in, you're already insecure. You're in high school. So of course mm-hmm. you're going to do the things to, to help yourself fit in. So I started drinking and using essentially when I was 18 and I used basically straight through from 18 to 30. So for me, it was actually quite a long time before I started to actually feel, I guess the, the benefits of getting sober and the clarity that comes from sobriety um, I remember being actually, and I remember saying this to one of my clients, and I remember days, distinctly days 70 to 90 being so fucking hard. And it was because there was just in my head, you know, I've been sober for 70 days. Like I should be running a multi-million dollar business at this point. Like my life should be just completely fucking different. Reality, nothing had fucking changed in my life at all. Yeah. <laughs> Not a thing had changed. And so I hit this kind of a, like, I guess like a speed bump where it was like, my life should be different. My life should be better. Why isn't it better? And then I started reading more and listening more and learning a bit about PAWS. So P-A-W-S, which is post-acute withdrawal syndrome. So Mm. there's a couple of different things that come from that. One of them is big milestones. So your six month anniversary year, two years, five years, you're typically going to have a lot of urge or desire to use during those times. And I remember when I hit the three month mark, there was this desire, this 90 day um, sobriety day of like, I just, I fuck, I have this fucking craving to use. And like, I knew I, I didn't need it by any means that I had this craving for it, but it wasn't until I got past that 90 day hump, but that's where I was like, oh, okay, this, this is what it's all about. But it's crazy. Cause then at that point, that was when I had to start learning how to actually unpack and understand emotions because I essentially had just drank and numbed myself to the point where I didn't feel anything, right? Because I drank and smoked if I was mad, sad, happy, stressed. You name the emotion, I drank because of that, right? So that was my reaction to drink, um, to an emotion. So I didn't know how to regulate my emotions at all. So it's kind of interesting because last summer, like when I look back on my Instagram post from last summer, that's when I was in the sort of like four month to eight month window of sobriety. And I was fucking angry like incredibly angry because that was my first time feeling anger and not just suppressing it right like actually letting it come to the surface and sort of get to the bottom of like what what is this why is this why do I feel this way like what is this I guess I had this like resentment like seeing old friends out at golf tournaments right golf tournaments that I used to be at I used to be out there drinking on these stags out at these events out at these parties and there was this resentment sort of towards them also sort of towards myself to be blatantly honest of like why can't I go out and do these things right and it was a bit of a victim mentality to be totally honest with you because I just didn't know how to comprehend my emotions at that point and how to deal with them and so really that shifted largely after about eight months and that's when I really started getting into reading Um, so one of the first books that I read was The Body Keeps the Score which if you have not read that book, that is arguably the most life-changing book I've ever read in my entire life. And it's all about unpacking trauma and essentially learning about trauma and how, especially early childhood trauma, how it essentially rewires your brain and rewires your brain to perceive the world in an entirely different way. So this is where it's super interesting because especially when I started talking about sobriety online, um, I got a lot of heat about it. Like I really, I got a lot of backlash about it. And Part of it was, again, being newer into writing, not knowing how to add different tones and 
how to word things as well. Like even just my writing has improved drastically over the last year and a half, just from practice. But my writing definitely came off very angry. It also came off kind of pushy in the sense of, and that wasn't the message I was trying to get at, but I was just an inexperienced writer. So I didn't know how to vocalize it nearly as well. And so it came off very pushy where it was like, you should get sober, but that was never my message. My message was like, look at your relationship, like be aware of your relationship with alcohol, or at least be open to being aware of your relationship with alcohol. You don't have to stop drinking. You don't have to cut back. You don't have to do whatever the fuck you want to do. But if my message resonates with you in any way, shape or form, just be open to my perspectives instead of just immediately closing them off, just be open to them. But again, with how I was writing it, it definitely did not come across that way because I took a lot of fucking heat online and it was really difficult for me to understand why people were reacting in the way that they were. And then when I read the body keeps the score, it was the first time that I ever genuinely understood why people react in the way that they do. And like you've probably heard the saying like it's if, if someone's you know going to hate on you online it's just an inner projection of their own self-hatred whatever it may be right self insecurity whatever it may be but i never really comprehended it compre- comprehended mm-hmm. it until i read the body keeps the score and actually learned about trauma and like trauma wiring essentially is like how it wires your brain and like obviously very simple terms but like if this was your brain wired this way and you went through something pretty severe as a young younger kid whether it be sexual abuse bullying like whatever it may be your brain is now wired this way right so i could be putting out a message in which i perceive to be the most empathetic compassionate thought out message possible you could read that and interpret it and be like you privileged fucking asshole max telling people to stop drinking like fuck you for saying this and then they would project that on me and i never understood it until i read the body keeps the score and honestly my person like my approach to people my ability to not be as reactive to people when they comment hatred or they send me fucking angry dms is the first time i was ever able to like separate my ego from that and be like okay like that person went through some shit like yeah, not my fault that they went through some shit, but they're perceiving my message in the way that they are because of the fact they went through whatever it was. So instead of me changing who I am and changing my authentic self to try to make you happy, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Because if my message resonates with 10 people, but then one person hates it, I'm not going to change who I am and change my message to make that one person like me more. Because then all of a sudden, the 10 people that do authentically resonate with my message no longer resonate with my message. So why am I going to change who I am authentically, authentically to, again, make one person happy? Because the reality is, is yeah. as your audience grows, no one, there's always going to be someone that fucking hates you. Like regardless of what your message is, you could be out there saving puppies and someone. Well, there, gonna- there will always be someone. Yeah, there will use, always be someone. Yeah. You use too much plastic for the kennels that you're saving yeah. those puppies in. And it's like, get fucked. Like, yeah, no, literally it's, it's obnoxious. You could be like doing the the greatest like charities of the world and you'd still get people hating. But, um, I think that's true. And there's, there's something that I like to remind myself. Um, and there's a couple of things I want to touch on with what you said, but something that I like to say is, you know, everyone's doing the best they can with where they're at. And when you start to see people through that lens, it's, it changes the game because you don't internalize things anymore. And something that you touched on too, with this is authenticity. And I don't know if if you shared this experience, but when I stopped drinking, I felt like I was finally able to be myself in a way that I, I never had been before. Like I felt like for so much 
of my younger twenties, I was just doing what everybody else was and, and trying to fit in and trying to, you know, shrink myself into spaces that were not meant for me. And once it was gone from the picture, I'm like, fuck it. I don't care. I literally reached a point at the six month mark. I was like, I don't care what anyone thinks anymore. Like this has changed my life and I want to speak about it. And it was the best decision I ever made. And, um, I think having it out of the picture, like having that clarity allows us to be authentic in a way that we maybe never were before. It does. And like, I mean, I, like, I didn't even do that just my twenties. I, I changed who I was to fit in probably since the age of 10. Right. I was such a, oh, my whole life. Yeah. I was such an insecure kid growing up. And like my, so my dad was a police officer here in Canada. And so we got transferred literally all over Canada. So I was constantly the new kid. And that was a large sort of part of the trauma traumatic upbringing with that was the fact that I was always the new kid. And one thing I've always said was it's helped me immensely in my career because of the fact that as a personal trainer, right? You're talking to maybe 10 different people in a day. Well, I can change my personality to fit all 10 different people. And I did that for a long period of time. So I was, because I was always a new kid, I never really actually learned who I was because it was like, well, the kids in Alberta, you know, they think this is cool when you're 12 years old. Well, if you move to BC, the kids in BC think this is cool when you're 13 years old. And the kids in Ontario think this is cool when you're 15 years old. So I was constantly just manipulating who I was to, to fit in with every crowd that I possibly could. So I didn't even know who I was. And that's, as odd as this sounds, like I'm 32 years old now. And in the last six months has been a huge shift for me of like learning and being curious about what I actually enjoy doing. Like what, what is genuinely fun for me? Because had you asked me two years ago, what was fun? It would have been like, well, I work and then I get fucked up on the weekends. Yeah. And that's, that's quote unquote. And it's the same cycle. Like, and it's so crazy to think because I I think about this all the time is how normalized it is, especially here. I I mean, I'm sure it is in Canada too, but like college culture specifically, it's so normalized and glamorized to be like, well, I blacked out this weekend. Well, did you see how many shots this kid took? Like this kid got pulled away on a stretcher, dude. Like it's so normalized and glamorized. And even in corporate culture too, because I used to work a corporate job before I, you know, decided to start my own path same thing, like happy hours, boozy brunches, like office parties where everybody's just trashed. Like it's such, it's such a part of our society. And I think it is changing now. Cause I think over the last like year and a half, like with the pandemic, I think society has shifted a little bit, but it's still so prevalent and it still almost feels taboo. Like, especially as a young person to go against that, if that makes well, sense. You, you almost like ostracize yourself to a certain degree, especially yeah. early on. Like I have two weddings that I'm going to this summer and it's like, I already know I'm going to be like that quote unquote kind of weird. Yeah. Why aren't, why aren't you drinking? It's a wedding. Like, aren't you going to have fun with us and get fucked up with yeah. us? And it's like, Hey, and this is one thing I've always said too, cause I've had a couple people like actually get a little upset with me and be like, well, why aren't like, why aren't you drinking? And it's just like, Hey, look, if I'm at a social event and you cannot have fun because I'm not drinking, I'm not the fucking problem here. Yeah. Like really, it, I'm not that much of like a fucking depressing anchor that's like <laughs> here sucking the yeah. fun out of the party. Like if you genuinely can't have fun because you're so insecure with your drinking because I'm not drinking, I'm not the fucking yeah. right. And then again, it's those people that again, like they know deep down there's some layer of consciousness that they have not yet unlocked that they know they have a problem. Well, it triggers something because they wouldn't have that reaction unless they knew deep down that it's like the people that get super defensive of like, well, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. I don't know what you're talking about. It's the same kind of people or the people that are like, oh, just have one. Like, why can't you just have one? Like they just, you know, 
it's a big thing too. Like I hate, and I've said this before too, like I hate when people get upset when people are like, oh, I, I read this and I was so triggered. And I was like, if you're triggered, that means that there's something that you need to pay attention to. Instead of just yeah. getting triggered and just like backlashing on the internet and writing <laughs> some fucking angry review, like think about what triggered you. Because clearly if you got triggered by something, clearly there's something under the surface that you need to fucking pay attention to. Yeah. And you're suppressing way down. Yeah. A trigger is like your body's way of telling you something, some inner work needs to be done. Well, and that's, that's the thing, right? And actually one of my neighbors, he's a psychotherapist and he said the most profound, we were walking the dogs the other day. He said the most profound thing. He's really big into meditation, very spiritual. And he had done a meditation retreat two weekends ago. And it was so six hours of meditation, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, six hours straight, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He's like, he's, whoa, that's wow. Him and I have some of the most interesting conversations ever, but he said the most profound thing. He was like, until you can quiet the mind, you'll never get into the body. And like, when you think about that, it's like, right. Because your body is telling you things, right. Your body is telling you something's wrong. But as we mentioned, there's so much noise from social media, online dating work, you name it. There's all the distractions in the world at our disposal right? So you have to consciously choose to quiet things down so that you can actually get to a point where you can listen to your body and listen to your intuition and things like that, right? Whereas if you're constantly doing something all the time, right? And I've talked about this with like um, the difference of like healthy addiction versus uh, unhealthy addiction, right? And it's like people who exercise is a fantastic example, right? A lot of people, well, I exercise all the time, so I'm super fucking fit or I'm super fucking healthy. And it's like, hmm. yeah. Okay. So you're running like 15 kilometers a day, but you think that's healthy. Like, and you can't sit in silence for a couple seconds at a time because you're going to go crazy or, um, the addiction to education, right. People who literally can't go a minute in their day without listening to a podcast, listening to an audiobook, listening to something, yeah. reading a textbook where it's like, okay, again, this is obviously a more healthy addiction than substance for sure. But again, your addiction is to the addiction of escape, essentially, right? The addiction to like listening to what your brain has to say. And again, obviously education addiction is going to be a healthier outlet than substance, but you're still avoiding something that needs to be addressed at some point. Yeah. The root of the problem is still there. It's just manifesting differently. Exactly. And part of that. So I read, I just recently read the, when the body says no. And a lot of that is talking about, it's very interesting it's talking about um, essentially like repressed or suppressed emotion, whatever the emotion may be, or suppressed or repressed trauma, whatever the trauma might be, uh, eventually it comes out in a physical way. So when yeah. you look at ALS, MS, cancer, autoimmune diseases, there is a fuck ton of research to show that that is very clearly attached to the repression and suppression of stress, anger, trauma there may be right and typically there's a triggering event which makes it then actually come out in that physical manifestation right so this book is extremely what is this book called that one was when the body says no okay have you heard of um have you heard of joe dispenza because that sounds a lot like what dr joe dispenza says yeah very much in line with that i like joe dispenza too because he and he's very much like so gabor mate is the author of when the body says no very much in line where it's sort of spirituality with science it's not yeah. just one or the other. So then it really puts the two together nicely where it actually makes people realize that it is all intertwined. It's not just physical health. It's not just mental health, spiritual, like it all goes together. Yeah. It really does. Mm-hmm. And again, 
addiction exercise, right? You can be the most quote unquote physically fit person in the world and still get cancer, still get autoimmune, still get yeah. whatever you do, right? So. Yeah. And it's interesting because, well, so um, I think it's called Becoming Supernatural is the book by Joe Dispenza, but he basically talks about how people literally get addicted to stress itself and the feeling of being stressed. And when you're in that state, you will constantly seek out more things that will give you that stressed feeling. And it's, it's an unconscious thing. And it usually stems from trauma, like you were saying, but you get so stuck in that cycle. Like I, I, I know people in my life that are, oh, well, this terrible thing happened and life is so hard. And like, I have to tell you this horrible story about this and that. And it's just like, they are everywhere. It's like the opposite of rose colored glasses. I don't know what you call that. Like dirty glasses. I don't know, but like, they're just always looking for the absolute worst thing. And then it's just like, it keeps, you know, and this almost gets into like the more esoteric side of things with the law of attraction and and manifesting, but it's like, they just become this magnet for just negativity and um, bad experiences because their brain is, has literally wired itself to be addicted to being in the state of stress, which is crazy. And like negative manifestation works the same way as positive manifestation. Always are thinking of the worst case scenario. Like don't be surprised when the worst case scenario happens. It's it's, yeah. Again, your brain is extremely powerful. Your thoughts are extremely powerful and you need to learn how to harness those. Again, it goes back to the, like the childhood trauma side of things, right? Like the addiction to stress is like, you likely grew up in a very chaotic household. Maybe you're bad at an affair. Maybe, maybe your dad was a workaholic. Maybe your parent was whatever, like what it may be. Right. But you, you, you get so comfortable with those and you, that becomes such a normal part of your life that you almost don't know how to live any other way. And I mean, that's where the yeah. hard part, like doing the work on yourself is and like getting to the root cause of your trauma of your problems of whatever it may be because again you can do all the surface level bullshit you want like yeah here's the problem you can dig around you can have all the crystals and do all the meditation but if you're not like actually facing yourself in that way it's it's you know you're not going to get to the root of it but that kind of made me think of something else too like with childhood trauma and just how how much your upbringing affects how you show up in the world like as an adult and especially with attachment styles, with relationships, like that's a huge one that I've noticed is thinking about how you were in childhood and seeing how that kind of shows up for you later in life is it so much of people's patterns are rooted in their childhood. Well, like, and gen- I don't think enough people talk about that. Like no, people gen- overlook like, that generational trauma, right? Like looking at yeah. your parents upbringing, right. And then getting curious about like your parents, parents upbringing. And like you said earlier, like it's the, the whole thing, thing behind this is never doing it from the perspective of I want to blame somebody yeah because that's to be honest and that's kind of victim mindset or victim mentality side of things right of like well it's exactly what it is yeah I can blame my parents because they raised me like this then at least I have someone to blame for why I'm making these decisions and it's like run the fuck up Peter Pan like you can't (laughs) if you're gonna blame someone you got to go back to like the 1800s to blame shit happened a long time ago and it's just getting perpetuated right someone has to break the cycle eventually so whether it be the cycle of alcoholism in your family of abuse in your family of whatever it may be in your family someone along the chain has to break it right and it's fucking hard don't get me wrong it is i joke about it all the time i'm like damn why do i have to be the one to do all this (laughs) like i have two older sisters and like i'm the baby of the family and like my family, not to say they're all alcoholics by any means, but like my family all drinks a fair bit. And so when the yeah. baby of the family comes out as an alcoholic and actually wants to do something about it, the rest of the family doesn't really want to do anything about it. And it's, it's a tough place to be in, to be honest, especially with all the reading 
that I do, like I see these patterns unfolding in my family and in my sister's relationships. Yeah. And I just kind of have to bite my tongue because they're, again, they're, they're a couple years older and they're from the generation, at least like, they're not, they're not necessarily from the generation, but they just, I guess, choose to be in a position of like, well, if we sweep them the rug, then it's not that big of a deal. And I'm like, yeah, fuck, this is going to be bad in a couple of years. <laughs> again, I can't say anything. What are they going to yeah. So mad at me if I ever bring anything like that up. And it's like, I, I just have to be a bystander because I can't say what I want to say because they're not going to be open to it. So, yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I've noticed generationally, like, and I don't know if you've noticed this too, but like older generations, at, at least in my family, especially like hide when something's wrong. Like, oh, well, let's just, we're not going to talk about it. Everything's fine. Like, like you said, sweep it under the rug. Like, well, we don't talk about that. Like you're good. You're fine. Um, almost like demonizing talking about mental health problems. Yep. Uh, so that's something that's, I think for our generation is changing though, because people are becoming so much more vocal about like unpacking these things, like generational trauma and how, how we show up in the world. Whereas before like that fifties mentality of like white picket fence, put the pearls on, pretend everything's great. You know, that it doesn't is, get you anywhere. No. And exactly. And that's the importance of these types of conversations and vocalizing your thoughts, feelings, and emotions, because someone's going to resonate with it. Right. And like, that's my biggest thing about my presence online is the fact that if, if one person resonates with my message and they decide to make changes in their life and it changes their life for the better, like it will, then I'm a happy person. Right. Like I just, these conversations are so important to have because it adds that sense of normalcy to it. When, especially if you've never actually seeked out help before, especially in a professional manner via therapist, psychologist, whatever it may be, you internalize these things for so many years that you think you're the only one that has these thoughts and the only one that might think a certain way. And it's like, once you start to open up and listen to these types of conversations, you're like, Oh, Max, Max thinks that way too. Like that's, yeah, I would have never thought that Max thinks that way. And it's like, but that's the fucking thing is that's like the kind of the funny part about it. We all have these, you know, quote unquote, crazy thoughts that we think we're the only one thinking. Yeah. That's why I think authenticity is such a superpower because like you said, even, even to know that one person could benefit from what we're saying today, or, or one person will reach out and say that, you know, they were inspired to stop drinking because of how open you were. Like, that's the, the best feeling in the world. And I think that's why, like you said, that's why you do it. That's why I do it too. It's not, you know, I don't have to have everybody agreeing with me. And I've reached a point now too, where, you know, when I first stopped drinking, I, I didn't speak about it. Like I told you, because I wanted to play it safe and sort of like that people pleasing mentality, which was something that I still struggle with. Um, but I'm like, you know what, if someone agrees with this, they're going to agree with it. If they don't, they can unfollow me. They cannot, you know, watch my content, whatever. But I actually found the opposite to be true. I thought that people were going to judge me and like, but then I had an outpouring of support when I started speaking more candidly about it. And from people that I never would have expected, you know, to reach out kids in high school that like, we're not friends with me, you know, um, kind of reaching out again. And it's, it, it is really mind blowing to see. And it's kind of a reminder too, of like, this is why we should be encouraged to be authentic. We shouldn't be, um, discouraged from fully expressing ourselves. Like, cause I feel like social media for such a long time, we're kind of pivoting away from this, like perfectionistic, you know, like ideal Instagram sort of, um, thing to people just being raw and real. And I think that's why TikTok is growing so much now, which is like a totally different tangent, but it's just people being authentic and like speaking their shit, you know? Well, the reality is, is like, people are going to judge you. And this was a big thing that I had to get over was the kind of the hump of like, oh, people are going to judge me. People are going to judge me whether they know my background or not. Yeah. My mouth closed and say absolutely nothing. And you're still going to judge me. 
right? Whereas for me, and that was a big thing with me coming out publicly with my alcoholism was because I, there was so much shame around it because I hid it behind closed doors for so many years that it just felt right for me to actually come out publicly and say it and just get it off my chest. And it was from that exact mindset of like, look, I've hid this for over a decade. Like this is weighing on me so fucking heavily. I have to do this publicly because again, whether you know or you don't know, you're going to judge me regardless. I'd rather you judge me knowing the full story than not knowing the full story and judging me. Because you're going to, you're going to preconceive who I am, how I am as a person, everything about me, whether you know it or not. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm not just put it all out there. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm the same way now. And it's like stepping away from the people pleasing of like trying to you know, show up as this like curated image of yourself. And it's like, fuck it. I'm tired of that. Like I'm over it. Well, it's empowering to reach that point. Yeah. Right. And even with the people pleasing side of things too, like it's weird. It's tough because with setting boundaries, especially as a people pleaser. And this is something I had to go through with like, you feel selfish the first couple of times you set boundaries because you're so used to putting everyone else's feelings and emotions ahead of your own. that as soon as you set boundaries that are going to be beneficial for you, you avoid doing them because like, oh, fuck, I don't want to have Max pissed off at me. And it's like, but wouldn't you rather have Max pissed off at me than have you pissed off at yourself yeah. for not setting and enforcing that boundary? Because that's what boundaries are there for. They're protect you. And the, mm-hmm. the also behind that too, is like, you're never going to be able to control someone's reaction to your boundary. And at the same time, it's not your responsibility, how they respond to your boundary. All you can do is set and enforce your boundary and that's it. Whether they hate it or not is up to them. Yeah, that's powerful. That's like the past six months, I would say I've been really big on like getting comfortable with that. And it's funny because when you first start to do it, there is that sense of guilt. Like I would feel guilty for like calling out of work. I would feel guilty for like asking for time off, like things like that. But I'm learning now to like rewire it. And it does take literally like retraining yourself to be okay with doing it. 100%. And it's like everything, right? I don't know if you've read any Eckhart Tolle, but he talks a lot about conditioned thinking, right? So it's the Mm -hmm. same idea when you look at mental health or anything really that if you've thought a specific way for a long period of time, like you can't meditate and do breath work for a couple of days a week in like a month's time and be like, oh, fuck, yeah, no more depression (laughs) for me. And it's like, no, again, like neural pathways. It's like, I've heard the analogy of like a river, right? Where it's like, if you want to ingrain a new pathway, like you have to work at it every single day to rewire that pathway to develop a, a deep enough pathway for the river to flow through it right and again if yeah. you've been, you know thinking we'll just use very base level depression for 15 years like that's 15 years you've thought a specific way like you're going to have to do a lot of work and it's going to take simply time to retrain your thought patterns right and that's the hard part with all of this breath work meditation gratitude None of it is short-term gratification. None of it. Yeah. Not one single person is going to do one day of meditation and be like, ah, I'm fucking I'm golden now. I'm, yeah. I'm a monk now. Like it does not work that <laughs> way. Right. And again, that's the importance of this. And I talk so much about this pretty much in everything, whether it be addiction or mental health, but it's all in a spectrum, right? So if we just use a very simple spectrum with one to 10, you don't have to wait. And in fact, you shouldn't wait until you're an eight nine, 10, before you start seeking help or before you start changing the way that you think, because if you think about it, it's a slippery slope. So once you pass that, let's just call it five, it gets harder and harder to backtrack, right? Once you hit that five, a six, seven, eight, nine, 10, especially with addiction, like 
it goes fucking fast. You go from a five to a 10 real fucking quick with addiction, right? Because now not only are you mentally addicted to it, you're physically dependent on the substance as well, right? So the more, and this is what I try to really get across is like, even if you're a two out of 10 on the mental health spectrum, go get help now, right? There's, there's no like qualitative, you have to be a level eight before you go see a professional. Yeah. Fuck no, go see a professional now because that's what's going to prevent you from becoming an eight. If you seek help now, the sooner the better. Yeah. And you can There's use it some... for every different emotional health. Yeah. Everything. That's that's great advice. And I, I totally agree with that. There's something else you were kind of um, touching on with like instant gratification. And I think so much of our society now is wired that way because of how accessible things are like our phones. Like we want the instant gratification of people liking our post or texting somebody and getting an answer immediately. And with things that make huge change in your life, the things that you have to do require small, consistent discipline. And you don't get that instant gratification. Like I'm reading a book now. Um, I don't know if you've read it. It's called the compound effect by, I think Darren Hardy. I've read and, the um, edge, which is very similar. Yeah. And he talks about just like those little things you do every single day where like, even, even in six months, you wouldn't know from a face value that like a lot of stuff is changing. But if you zoom out to a year, you're like, holy crap, I'm a different person now. And so many of those things, at least for me that have changed my life were not instant gratification. It was a long road of like very small, consistent discipline every single day to like like you said, like rewiring your brain, that's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to master meditation overnight. You're not going to manifest your dream car overnight or have a whole new sense of gratitude for the world. Like after listening to an audiobook of like law of attraction, whatever, like, it's just not how it works. It would be sick if that's how it worked, but it's not like it requires a lot of discipline. And I think that's something that people struggle with in and of itself is just being consistent enough because you could be like this close to having that breakthrough, but you're just not seeing the results of it. But if you were to zoom out and look at yourself from, from maybe an outsider perspective, you say, damn, I've come a long way. Yeah. I love the zoom out analogy. Cause that's the thing is everyone fixates on day-to-day differences and it's like zoom out like six months at a time. Yeah. Like, so much of your life has changed, but if you're so fixated on the day-to-day difference and like waiting for that one morning that you wake up and it's like, Oh wow, it's all works. It's just not going to yeah. happen. Right. Like you really have to zoom out and start, I guess, auditing your life in that sense too. And like audit your life, like if you're working on your financial health, okay, like look at the last six months. Has it improved? Have you been budgeting? Have you done the things that you need to do to improve your relationship with it? And if, if that's where, I mean, this is what people really don't like is like the genuine honesty with yourself of like, are you doing the work? Yeah. And like, that's hard. Right. But then that's the, again, the hardest part about that is like the true honesty behind it, because you can fucking half-ass gratitude, half-ass intention or half-ass journal, half-ass that. But it's like, if you're doing it with zero intention whatsoever, it doesn't matter if you meditate for half an hour. And I say that because especially if you're newer, no one's fucking meditating for half an hour, right? But you would be better off doing 30 seconds of like hyper-focused meditation than you would with intention, as opposed to 30 minutes of very unfocused attempt at meditation. Yeah. It's like the idea of just going through the motions of thinking that you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing, but intention is so powerful too. Like even for myself, I set, like I set intentions in every area of my life. And I think of intentions as like microscopic goals, right? Like daily intentions of like, what, what am I going to do today? That's going to serve the greater goal. If maybe it's meditating, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's uh, stretching. Like I I'm really bad with stretching. 
and I hate doing it. And I, I'm like, oh, well, I don't need to do that. I need, I, I shouldn't make time for whatever. But then I'm like, no, make time to stretch because your future self is going to thank you because it's going to make you more flexible, less prone to, you know, injury. And now my hamstrings fucked up because I didn't stretch. So, well, and that's the thing with auditing your schedule. And I have a lot of my clients do that too, where they, they seem to think they don't have time for a lot of things. And it's like, okay, cool. So I want you to audit your schedule next week, like literally hour to hour audit your schedule, right? Because everyone that thinks they don't have time for something, it's like, you have so much fun. Yeah. You're just not prioritizing it at all right? Mm -hmm. At all. And once you actually get that on paper and you look at their week and you sit down with them and you say like, okay, so for three hours here, while you fucked around on TikTok, like you could have fucked around on TikTok while you went for a walk. You could have fucked around on TikTok while you clean, like whatever you were doing, you can multitask in certain areas too, right? Like if you want to listen to a podcast, listen to a podcast and clean, listen to a podcast and walk, whatever it may be, there's ways to make it much more achievable. But again, it's the desire to do so, right? And I guess the desire to prioritize the things that need to be done. Yeah. And it's funny, like even with like the honesty standpoint, like I, with my clients, I basically get them. There's like the training program that comes from it, the, the nutritional component that comes with it and the step count that comes from it. And like the nutrition is funny because it's like, again, it's calories in versus calories out. And like, I don't know if you want to go on this tangent at all, but like I, I actually use a report card system with my clients. And so I give them an actual grading system each week or a grade each week based off of their performance oh. off of those three criteria. And the whole reason I implemented that was like, so it allows your expectations to match your efforts. And calorie counting is funny because it gets a bad rep when in reality, it's like, if you can separate calorie counting from the reason you're doing it for, instead of your self-worth, right? Yeah. It's a huge change because it's, it's just data. It's like saying someone who budgets their money has a finance addiction. And it's like, yeah. no, they want to know what's coming in versus coming out. And it's the same. If somebody wants to change their body composition, if you're just fucking YOLOing your calories and not tracking a single thing, you could work out, you could run seven days a week. You could, you could do all of the things. And I say that mm-hmm. in air quote, you could do all the things and not lose a fucking pound because you're eating too many calories. And this is where the report card system is funny with my clients. Cause if I ever have a client that's like, I'm not losing weight, this is bullshit. I actually on the app that I use, I can see the, calor- the calories that they're putting in to the trainer. Oh yeah. Added up over a month. And I'm like, okay, so technically I gave you a budget of whatever, 90,000 calories this month. According to Trainerize, you ate 60,000. Yet somehow you put on weight. So apparently you are defying the laws of thermodynamics yeah. <laughs> or you're a fucking liar and you're not yeah. eating what you say you're eating. Or it's those little snacks or those little yeah. little not weighing out grabbing an extra handful here and there like not weighing second helping yeah butters not weighing your sauces all of a sudden i did a video on this a couple months ago the difference of 250 untracked calories per day in 30 days if you were to mistrack or just not track 250 calories a day which is two and a half tablespoons of fucking peanut butter that would be the total of seven thousand extra calories in a month damn you get someone that's like, I'm not losing weight. And again, you look at it like that and it's like, Hey, well, one pound of fat is 3,500 calories. Yeah. You just mistracked two pounds of fat in one month. And then it becomes this like conundrum of like, so you're now getting pissed off because you're not losing the weight and you think you're doing the work, but you're not doing it with any fucking intention. And you wonder why you're not seeing results. Yeah. Like it's those calories. little things. It's the small little things that add up. Counting calories is not fucking rocket science. It's actually, yeah, it's doing- math it's a very useful tool too, right? Because it builds awareness on what you're putting in your body. It allows you to understand 
simple nutritional knowledge. If this is your plate, what should it look like with protein? What should it look like with vegetables? What should it look like with carbs? Yada, yada, yada. And that's the whole point that I put with calorie counting. And obviously if I've had clients in the past, who have had eating disorders and disordered eating patterns and things like that. Then we obviously talk through it and figure out a different game plan for that. But like, if you genuinely want to lose weight, count your calories. It's, it's, again, it's not fucking rocket science. It's actually very simple. And it's going to be the most tangible feedback loop to say, yes, you should be losing weight or no, you should not be losing weight. Yeah. And be honest with yourself too, because it's a wake up call. Like when you first, when you first start to track, you're like, that's how much is in that. Or that's where I'm like adding extra stuff. Like I I'm that way with like, like butter on stuff. Like I love butter. And I'm like, that adds up so fast, like butter on bread or like butter on pasta, like little things like that can totally sneak up on you or even sweets at night. Like I have a sweet tooth at night. That's something else. Like if you cut out, like, let's say you have like 200 calories worth of chocolate every night. If you cut that out, Ooh, one of my lights just went out. As I said, <laughs> cut out. Um, if you cut that out, that small little change, you're going to see results from it's not drastic, but it also requires you to be honest with yourself of like, okay, this is where I'm expending a little bit more than I want to. And I think a lot of people get spooked with counting calories and, and tracking macros because it requires a lot of honesty with yourself. Yeah. And that it's always funny to some clients that they track the good days and then they just, Oh yeah. About the bad days. And I'm like, okay, well that's pretty fucking useless. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't just track the good days. And then again, wonder why you're not losing the weight that you want to be losing when I don't know what you ate Tuesday. You just fucking went off the rails and decided to eat yeah. you want and didn't track it. So now again, our, cause I always count, it's always weekly net total calories in how you want to hit those caloric numbers is totally up to you. You can fast one day. You can eat a shit ton of calories one day. You can eat all in the morning one day. It doesn't matter. As long as the net calories in is the whenever we need to be at, then you're golden, right? But if you YOLO it on a Tuesday and don't track anything because you binged and ate 4,500 calories, it's like, well, well that's going to affect the weekly budget here. But if you yeah. don't know what you ate, and it's funny because there's almost a guilt that comes with it too. Where like, maybe you didn't actually eat as bad as you thought you did. Because I've had this client, yeah. clients like running this as well, where they won't track the bad days but then they'll guilt themselves into thinking it was a worse day. So then all of a sudden it's not one bad day. It's three, four, five, six bad days in a row because they're like, well, I said, fuck it on Tuesday. and didn't track. And then it was probably like 4,000 calories when in reality it was probably like 2,500 calories. And I'm like, if you had just known that you wouldn't yeah. sabotage yourself the next three days thinking that that one day was a write-off. So then the whole week was a write-off. Yeah. And, and I- that's a trap people fall in is like, they mess up once and they're like, well, screw it. Yeah. I, I, whatever, fuck it. I'm done. Like let me, it's ruined anyway. And I, you know, that's like something that I suggest to people. I did nutrition coaching for a while and I kind of like stopped for a little bit cause I'm trying to prioritize other stuff. But like, if you want to have something, like if, if I was working with someone, they were like, I just, I really, really want like a burger, like so bad, just have it and move on. Because otherwise, if you restrict yourself all week on the weekend, you're going to go crazy and then say, Oh, Haley, I had like five sliders and like a bunch of wings. And I was just like, whatever. So then I had cheesy fries. Like it, it just like, I, in my opinion, have it, get it out of your system and get right back on track, but keep track of it because that's how you know that you can budget for it. Well, exactly. And like the, the budget analogy is perfect. Cause again, you can have that burger. And this is the big thing I talk about is like, not, you know, quote unquote, good foods versus bad foods. It's just calories, right? Obviously, again, the more hyper palatable calories you eat, you're going to be more inclined to eating more calories because of the fact that they're so hyper palatable and hyper processed. 
But that being said, it's still a budget. So you can fit that burger. You can fit some pieces of pizza. You can fit all that in there. That's a funny thing with alcohol too, is like the inhibitions go the fuck out the door. And I've had clients mm-hmm. too, like, oh, I drank like six beers. So I mean, this just holds me back. And I'm like, to be honest, it's not the calories in the six beers that's holding you back. It's you drink those six beers, your inhibitions go the fuck out the yeah. door. And that's when you're like, ah, fuck it. I already had six beers. I might as well have a whole fucking pizza and then get stoned and eat some wings yeah. and eat fucking this <laughs> and that. And then yeah. again, wonder why I fucking blew my weekly budget. It wasn't the six beers, the calories from the six beers. It yeah. was where your fucking brain went after you had a couple beers. Yeah, that's a problem I used to have. Like, and I don't know if you had this too, but like when I would drink, I would eat like everything in sight. By the end of the night, I would like down a whole pizza by myself, like nachos. Like I would just go to town and like, I wondered why I I wasn't losing weight. And I was only doing cardio at that time too. So I was like, why am I not losing weight? Like, it's like, girl, you're eating like a massive tray of nachos at (laughs) 3am. My friends used to call me the fittest, fattest trainer ever because of the way I, the way I ate, because same thing, it was like, I would get drunk and stoned. And then it was like, let's eat a whole pizza. Right. Yeah. Like, and I, I could not stop. Like I literally wouldn't be able to stop. It would just be like, well, and their thing was like, how the fuck are you so fit? And it was like, well, I'm like, I'm hyper obsessed with the gym. That's my day through Saturday. And then again, I've like, it restricted myself all week. And then this bin is essentially binge eating disorder, but it was right. And it was the alcohol and weed that essentially would trigger that more than anything. Right. So that was a, yeah, that was a big learning curve to get through as well. Yeah. It's crazy how that happens, but I know people like that too. Like where you said they blame the alcohol and I think it is obviously alcohol is a part of it, but it's the catalyst to that. Cause like you said, you get to that point and you're just like, I don't care. Like that internal switch happens and it's like all logic and reason is kind of just out the window. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, the 450 calories from the beers aren't helping matters but the 2,500 calories you ate that you didn't track because you said yeah. it after the 450 calories of beer, yeah. that's what's really holding you back here. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Um, so I actually want to get into something else that I was thinking about and something we had like messaged about before. And that's sober dating, because that's something that I've been struggling with a lot. And I know you said you were struggling too. So can you share with me a little bit about your experience? Yeah. So it's been been a journey to say the least um so I didn't even try to date so my ex and I broke up in November of 2020 so I didn't even try to date for about six months yeah about six months because again a lot of that was like again early sobriety and like knowing I had a lot of shit that I wanted to work on and I knew I needed the space to do so and then I started actually like my first because I didn't I fucking hate online dating I the few times I've downloaded it yeah. in the last two years like I downloaded it and immediately I'm like fuck I hate it's it. exhausting it is so <laughs> exhausting like oh I hate it so much and especially like with you and I both like I'm on my phone all the goddamn time for work right now mm-hmm. it's my Me life too. like do I then want to put the little reserve energy I have into like building a relationship with some stranger that I may or may not meet online on tinder or some shit like that yeah so the first person that i kind of dated actually i met her walking lucy so it was actually a lot better because of the fact that it was it was more organic that way too and i think because of that experience too which really quickly so that was that was a really profound thing for me because to be honest that was my first ever experience of like 
having sex sober, like dating sober, anything sober, because my insecurity was, I had a lot of social insecurity. So a lot of my experience dating was like, okay, well, let's do an activity where we can get shit-faced and then that'll be a good date, right? Because I was so nervous that I didn't want to have a sober date because I I had to get drunk and then that way I'd feel comfortable and all of a sudden the whole thing would be a lot easier. So that was a pretty profound for me. Um, We kind of just like loosely dated for about three months. She lives pretty close to me actually. So it was kind of convenient in that sense. But then it was just like, again, like I have a lot of shit going on. between my online business, I just opened up a gym here in Edmonton. Like I had a lot on my plate and again, all the while still like having Lucy all the while still yeah, seeing my therapist actively like trying to work on the things that I know I need to work on. And a big part of that, and that's what comes from the clarity of sobriety is like, I know that if I want to actually have a successful relationship, I need to have a better relationship with myself before that's ever going to happen. And it's a hard thing to admit that and to be persistent with the work that has to happen. Obviously we've touched on those, you know, the, the delaying of instant gratification and doing those things mm-hmm. that you know need to be done. So then I went about four months of not dating at all. And then of course I got a little lonely and desperate over winter and downloaded the online dating. And it immediately was like, why the fuck did I do this? Yeah. I think I went on like <laughs> three dates and a lot of it was like, I went on three actual dates but so many conversations, I was probably talking to like 15 girls at one point in time, but the second they would hear that I didn't drink, it was like, see ya, like yeah. either, either ghost or just like completely conversation end right there. Yeah. Because Which is again, so fucked by the way. Like that's so fucked. yeah. So fucked. And like, again, in our age demographic, right. Of like, Oh, well, he doesn't drink like, fuck that guy's gotta be weird. Like what's wrong? Yeah. Like what's wrong with you that you don't drink? Yeah. Right. And so I actually ended up having to just start dating older because it was like, honestly, any girl below 35 was so immediately turned off by the fact that I didn't drink and I didn't party and yeah. down and do drugs. It just, it just fizzled out before then. So I started dating a bit older um, after that. And it's, it's been a little bit better, to be honest. That being said, I know I'm still, I kind of recently just called it off for the girl. Um, and I just sort of had the recollection or realization kind of midway through of like, I know I'm not ready for this yet. So why am I continuing to distract myself with things that aren't going to benefit me in the long run? They're going to benefit me now, but they're not going to benefit me in the long run, which again, a lot of that awareness and clarity comes from the fact that I have a sober conscious and like my standards are higher. So it's like, yeah, yeah. I could have continued this relationship with this last girl, but there was certain things that I saw in her lifestyle in my lifestyle, where I want to be, where she wanted to be, that just wasn't going to align, right? Previously, insecure, shit-faced stone max would have been like, yeah, but she's hot. So like, whatever, <laughs> keep it going, right? Whereas like, again, like grow the fuck up at some point where it's like, if you want something better and you want a better life in the future, then do what you have to do and put the work in on yourself to actually allow that, right? And the, the, the reality of that too is like, and this is something I'm currently working on. So by no means to anyone listening, like, take it as if I'm talking like on a pedestal, like this is something I'm currently working through. It's like, if I can't be happy alone, I know I'm not going to be happy with someone. Right. And that's what I'm working towards now is like genuinely being as comfortable and happy and fulfilled being alone as possible. So that if I do meet someone that's going to add to my cup, awesome. But I don't want to be the codependent that I was previously where my happiness was fully reliant on somebody else's happiness because my ex-girlfriend, my ex-relationship was essentially that. And when that blew the fuck up, 
life really fucking sucks when all of your happiness lies in somebody else's hands because you don't have yeah. control of that in any way, shape, or form. It's all scary. Is control over your happiness and how you believe, how you what what you place yourself worth at, what your beliefs are, what your values are. So until you have a really good idea of what you want, what your core values are, and what you see as being a healthy relationship. I would suggest just not being in a relationship because to be honest, dating in general, and I have a client that's like, and I've, I've talked about her on our podcast before, like fully, fully addicted to dating, but oh, that's, really? that's her escape, right? Because of the fact yeah. that she was in a relationship for 10 years prior, very unhealthy, um, very mentally abusive towards her, uh, again, like very degrading towards her. So now she is fully addicted to dating because she can go on these dating apps and go on different dates and get this after this positive affirmation from a hundred different fucking guys. Well, yeah, that feels good when you've never had positive affirmation from yeah. a partner. At the same time, if you can't positively affirm yourself, what happens when you don't have the ability to have hundreds of fucking strangers positively affirm you all the time? Yeah, that's crazy. It's cool to hear your experience though. I mean, my experience has been like a little bit different. So Um, I have not really been very successful with it. Like at all. I'm trying to think, um, I didn't even date anyone like for most of COVID I had, I was on dating apps, but my problem with it has always been like, so I'm very open about the fact that I don't drink. And I say it in my profile because I'm like, I just want the person to know it like right away. Because like you said, people are weird about that. And unfortunately people do judge about it. Um, but so much that I have seen from my perspective is like so much of dating culture revolves around alcohol. Like people are always like, let's go get drinks or like, I'll scroll through people's profiles. And this is, I'm not saying this, like I'm better than so many people, but like one of my standards that I have for myself is like, if I look at someone and all of their pictures are of them with alcohol on their hands and all of their prompts are about them getting shit faced or being hung over on a Sunday, like I'm not even going to bother swiping on them. I don't care how attractive they are because like, I know that I would have no place in their life. Like, why would I put myself to be with someone like that? So, um, I've had a hard time in even like finding someone potentially, because I just feel like so much of, especially in our age brackets, so much of dating is so heavily revolved around drinking. And so much of socializing is like revolved around drinking where it's like, I wouldn't even feel comfortable. And like, I still don't even feel fully comfortable, like going into like a bar or a club, especially with someone that I don't know, like that's, that's a boundary that I've had to set for myself. Like there was a few months ago, I had an experience where, um, I went out to brunch and I was with my mom actually. And we sat at the bar, but I, I literally was like, I can't be here right now. And it wasn't even that I was triggered in the sense of like, I want to have a drink. I was just so uncomfortable being around all these people that were like shit faced. I was like, I have to get out of here. Like, so I don't know. My experience has been a little bit different than yours, but that's kind of. No, and I'm the same way. And it's like, honestly, a bit of like cognitive dissonance almost when you end up in those scenarios too, where like, you just feel so out of place. And it's just like, I just, that's the beauty of sobriety as well. Is like knowing I have the choice of like, if I don't want to be somewhere, I'm not going to be somewhere. Yeah. Like I'm just genuinely not going to put myself in that situation because I know I'm incredibly uncomfortable with it. Um, one thing I, so I did a little experiment last summer. So when I first had made my profile to go back on online dating, I had put in my profile, like eight months sober or whatever I was okay. at that point kind of thing. And I was striking the fuck out. Like I was swiping, <laughs> swiping, 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 getting no matches. And like, I was like, what the fuck? Like, okay, this is ridiculous. Like not to completely pump my own tires here, but like, 
not a bad looking dude. Like, <laughs> especially when I'm sorry, social, uh, social media and online dating is so surface level, right? Like you're going to swipe yeah. on somebody because of the fact that they're good looking. It's a, it's a part of fucking online dating. Yeah. I'm striking out. And I was like, what the fuck? So after about two months, I actually took eight months sober out of my profile. And then you got a bunch of people swiping. All of a sudden it was fucking bing, bing, bing. Like I shit you not within a week of that. It was like match after match after match. That's match. insane. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like that. So then it was like, it was, but then it was worse because it was like, okay, now I've had this match, but now I have to awkwardly tell Haley, oh yeah, I don't actually drink. And then it was yeah. just, well, conversation over. Right. So to me, that was just such a huge turnoff of, I mean, many different things when it comes to online dating, but that one was one for me where it was like, okay, this is clearly not where I'm going to meet somebody that actually aligns yeah. who I am as a person and what I want out of my life. So that was where it was nice to actually meet um, that one girl, like just walking Lucy, right. Where it was like yeah. organic. It was like, we talked just had a conversation it obviously flowed nicely and there wasn't any sort of like oh you don't drink like yeah it wasn't like some sort of crazy thing and like and that's something else I've noticed too like when I was younger I would have just swiped on anyone I wouldn't have cared you know about like most of those things I would have just been honestly looking for their physical appearance because I was like whatever like he's hot okay um but now I'm like I, I can't do that. Like, I can't, like, I know now what I want. And that's, I guess, something for the first time, like really I've ever had is just having a clear vision of like what I want and who would fit into my life and not compromising on that for the sake of like being lonely or like falling into a trap of just like wanting someone to have for the sake of having someone, you know? Well, it's like practicing boundaries with yourself. Right? I always yeah. talk about like, practicing boundaries with yourself is the best way to start because of the fact that you do have control over how you react to your own boundary. Right. And like we talked about, no, you can't control somebody else's reaction to your boundary, but you can control your own reaction to your own boundaries. So especially if you have a hard time setting boundaries, like practice on yourself. It's a fantastic place to start so that when you do have Mm -hmm. to enforce a boundary with someone else, you at least have some semblance of practice doing it. Yeah, that's a great idea. And that's, I didn't even realize consciously that like, that is something that, cause I told you the past six months, I've been really big on boundaries and that is something that I've been doing. Like it's crazy. Like start with yourself and then build it out from there. Especially if you're someone that's like in that people pleasing mentality, I would say that's a great place to start. Right. It builds self-discipline. It gets you practice. And that's a big thing that I really say a lot is like all of these things take practice. Right. And I think people go into it with like, again, meditation, gratitude, journaling, whatever it may be. It's like, they're going to just be good at it. It's like all of this takes practice. Setting boundaries takes practice. Learning how to count calories takes practice learning how to love yourself takes practice. All of this takes practice. So it's interesting. Gabor Mate talks a lot about like flipping the verbiage towards like why you do certain things instead of being it, doing it from a place of punishment, switch Mm. it to curiosity, right? So get curious as to why you let that person walk all over you instead of being, you know, frustrated or mad at yourself that someone walked all over you get curious as to why you allowed that. Yeah. Right? Because in this, he's, he's talking more in reference to like addiction and things like that, but be curious around your addiction, be curious around your inability to set goals, your inability to budget your money, your inability to do all these things. Just be curious about it. Instead of thinking like, I'm a piece of shit. I'm so shitty at this. or I suck at this. Cause how you talk to yourself is so fucking crucial in actually changing your life. So if you're constantly telling yourself you suck at something, you're probably going to keep sucking at it. Because you're not going to have the desire to want to practice it. Because as soon as you flip that switch of like, no, I'm just practicing it. You're more inclined to wanting to get reps in to practice it. Yeah. 
right? Whereas if you and so, like defeating yourself right out of the gate, say, well, I'm shitty at it. So why should I even try? Exactly. And it's like, everyone's shitty at everything they do the first time they do it. Yeah. Everything. Everyone sucks at sex the first time they have sex. <laughs> yeah. Everyone sucks yeah. at like, most sports they play for the first time. Everyone sucks at writing the first time. Everyone sucks at something to some degree. Yeah. A bunch of times they do it. Right. So why is these, again, these simple things that are going to change your long-term life for the better. Why are you going into with the expectation that you're going to be good at this? Yeah. No one has, no one has come out of the womb, like mastering a skill. No, no one. Like how boring would that be too? Like really yeah. think about it. It's like, Hey, so you just, you're good at everything. Like, yeah. Like, like look I, at people's success stories. There would be yeah. no success stories. Well, and I talk about like, it's like thinking your life's going to be linear progress, right? Like life's just going to be like this. It's awesome. And it's like, fuck, that would be so boring. Yeah. We all have this mansion with the white picket fence and the dog and the perfect fence. Like, fuck, the world would be such a boring place if it actually was just linear progression. And it's like, at what point does it stop? Like, what is the, yeah. what is the ceiling of like your, you know, your perfect, quote unquote, perfect world? Yeah. And I think the same thing applies to like with your emotions. If you felt good all the time, you would have no capacity to appreciate how good it it feels to feel good. Exactly. One thing. So I just want to quickly touch on this because I'm on a huge kick of this the last couple of months. So I was officially diagnosed with ADD in December. So this was something that I was like, kind of knew I had growing up. Um, it was very much just in a position that I didn't acknowledge it. My parents didn't want to acknowledge it. So then I was kind of like, oh, well, fuck, clearly I don't have it. If my parents aren't willing to send me to a doctor for it. So, and then, I mean, with over a decade of addiction and um, with between smoking weed and drinking all the time, like I just accredited my inability to focus, my inability to have the desire to be motivated to do anything and to learn all of these things. So that was really big for me in actually getting that diagnosed and learning about it. So one thing I do want to talk on quickly is if you think you're even remotely neurodivergent, the neurodivergent, so there's neurotypical neurodivergent neurodivergent can be anything ADD, ADHD, uh, Asperger's, autism, Tourette's, all the above. There's all spectrums to it. If you think you're anywhere on that spectrum, you should highly, I highly recommend you go read the book Scattered Minds by Gabor Mate. It is one of the most life-changing books I've ever read in my life because it literally answers so many questions about my life and the way that I've lived my life, my high, my, the high highs that come from ADHD, the low lows that come from it. Um, learning how to actually manage my life a lot more constructively because it's, it's very interesting. Like if you tell a neurodivergent brain to do neurotypical things, like be consistent, like do this consistently, yeah. do this. a neurodivergent brain is the opposite of consistency. So you really have to actually broaden your perspectives to find ways that are going to work for your brain. And one of the things that's a common characteristic with neurodivergency is the very low self-worth. So high sensitivity, very low self-worth. So the reason I brought that up was the, the talking to yourself. So again, oh, yeah. or you talk down to yourself. If you are neurodivergent, you're fucking sensitive. So you may only think that you're sensitive to what others are saying to you. You're fucking sensitive to what you're saying towards yourself. You're that much more sensitive than a neurotypical brain telling themselves they're mm. a piece of shit. So if you're telling yourself you're a piece of shit 10 to 15 times a day, that's taking a huge impact on your ability to change and again as subtle as that may be start to audit how many times you talk down to yourself in a day because again it's that condition pattern so if for every two times easy example let's say you talk shit about your twice a day but then you only reaffirm yourself once a day right 
eventually that number has to flip where you're talking to your shit about yourself once and then you're positively affirming yourself twice. Eventually, obviously, they'll be more positive than negative, but you have to start somewhere. And yeah, I just wanted to touch on that quickly because it's so fucking important because that yeah. was a huge game changer for me was actually realizing all of these things and learning, like knowing the importance of it, but then knowing how much more important it is to do those things when you are neurodivergent. Yeah, that's, I've never heard anyone um, explain it in that way or even like think about like how someone's brain is wired differently because things aren't one size fits all. Like in any, I don't think in any area of, you know, self-help or development that there's like a one size fits all formula that everyone can follow to master their life because everyone is chemically different in their brain. So like you said, if, if someone is wired that way, what'd you say the name of that book was again? Scattered Minds by Gabor Scattered Minds. Yeah. So Scattered Minds, that would be a great thing um, to check out. That's really I'm- interesting highly recommend that because and again part of that is even like like going back just quickly to calories right this is this has changed my approach to coaching significantly because again if you tell a neurotypical brain to be neurodivergent or vice versa it doesn't fucking work so if i tell you who's adhd to eat two thousand calories a day seven days a week the fucking chance of you doing that is literally 0.1 percent because that's not how your brain works right? Yeah. There's a reason the book's called Scattered Minds, like it's all over the place, right? And mm-hmm. again, anyone who is listening who has ADD, ADHD, like think about when you clean your house. Do you clean your house in a structured manner or is your house a fucking disaster, <laughs> but you clean it meticulously? Yeah, it takes you a long fucking time, but you clean it meticulously, right? If you've ever been able to, you know, if there's a topic that you're not interested, and this is a big one for me too, is like, if there's a topic that you're not interested in your ADHD, you, you, you cannot force yourself into learning that. You can try, but you're going to beat yourself mm-hmm. up trying to force yourself to learn that. Whereas all of a sudden, this is where school was a tough one for me because it compartmentalizes you to the point where, again, you do, you know, your history, your language arts, your math. Well, fuck, if I'm not interested in any of those topics, I then turned into the quote unquote bad kid because I wasn't paying attention because I didn't give a yeah. flying fuck about that. I'm over here, like writing out workout programs and like <laughs> doing shit that I'm interested in. The teacher thinks I'm a bad kid in reality. Yeah. I fuck about that. Um, but like, so counting calories, it's net calories in. So, you know what, if your weekly budget is 14,000 calories, you can eat a thousand calories Monday. You can eat 3000 calories Tuesday. You can eat 1200 calories Wednesday. You can eat 1800 calories Thursday. As long as your weekly net is where you want it to be, you're going to gain weight, maintain weight, lose weight. You don't need to eat 2000 calories a day. Yeah. Right. So telling that to someone who's neurodivergent is like an absolute game changer for them because then they're like, holy fuck, like. So I can lose weight and not just eat the same shit every single day. And it's like, no, absolutely not. And then it goes back to the good calories, bad calories. Like if you budget in that burger and fries, sweet. Like, yeah, eat a little bit less tomorrow and you're golden. And again, as long as you're at your net budget, you're going to hit your fucking target weight. Yeah. Being able to vocalize that and make people comprehend that is an absolute game changer for you. Because again, even when I look at my past, um, like you, again, you get very hyper-focused and hyper-motivated when you have something to look forward to. So basically from the ages of 20 to 28, every single year, I, I went to Lollapalooza three times, like three years in a row in Chicago. I went to American Spring Break twice in Mexico, um, all of these crazy things. But basically what I would do is like book a vacation 10 months away. I would so you had something to look forward to? Train yeah. like a fucking lunatic for like 10 months. And then I would go on this vacation, drink my fucking face off and then come home super fucking depressed and like wonder why wow. I was yeah. I'd book a vacation 10 months around. So I, 
the reason I bring that up is like with the report card system that I use with my clients, I always say like the best client is a B to a B plus student. And everyone's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like I want to be an A plus student to lose the most weight or gain the most muscle. And again, zoom the lens out. It's not about being an A plus student for 12 weeks. Anyone can do that. Yeah. How can you manage that over a year? Right. And the thing with this, that's really important to see is like, I might basically, I'll use myself as an example. I was an A plus student for about nine months. And then I was a D student for about three months. Law of yeah. averages. If you zoom out the lens from that year, I was technically a B to a B plus student over that year. Right. You don't need to be a B plus consistent student for the year. Right. And again, telling a neurodivergent brain that they do, it's just not going to happen. They're going to yeah. lose focus, lose motivation right away. And they're just going to fall off. Right. But being able to understand that is so important because it allows people to reflect. Cause again, like anyone can do anything for 12 weeks at a time. Like it's anyone can be an A plus student for 12 weeks, but can you consistently do that? The likelihood is all no, because it's very all in, but how yeah. do you, how do you verbalize that to a neurodivergent brain so that they don't then beat themselves up for being that A plus student for 12 weeks and then being that D student. Right. So being able to like actually let people understand why they do that is such an empowering thing because they're like oh shit okay like so i can do basically fuck all for the next like four weeks as long as i get back on the wagon after that and it's like that's really what it boils down to because you can't fuck this up unless you just completely stop yeah that is really empowering though because i was wondering when you first explained it to me i'm like i've never heard someone talk about like the weekly budget because i feel like everybody's just focused on it daily but that makes so much sense if your brain like it's almost like if um like you know how they explain math differently to kids these days it's like, if you have one person explain math to you in that way, like if I, if I was to try to learn, like however they're teaching kids math, I, I, there's no way that I would know what I'm doing. But then if you have someone else explain it to you in a way that like actually makes sense to you, like if you're like a visual learner, if you learn through something else, you're like, holy shit, like that makes sense. I get it now. And, and I think I, nobody talks about that, you know, with nutrition because it's not sexy. No, <laughs> straight up is what it is. It's not sexy. Cause again, take that week and look at over a month. Right. And yeah. again, the beauty of this is when you verbalize this to clients, it allows them to not be so, I guess, hyper-focused on their mistakes. Cause it's like, okay, I'll use, I use the analogy of the time. Okay. Let's just say I give you 2000 calories per day in a week. That's 14,000 calories in a month. That's 56,000 calories. So guess what? You could go 10,000 calories over your weekly, but so let's just say you're going to go on a four day vacation this weekend. And you're going to fucking eat everything in goddamn sight. You're going to eat 24,000 calories for that week. That's fine. If you have 56,000 calories for the month, what do you need to eat daily for the next three weeks to make sure that you're still at or under 56,000 calories? So originally your budget was 2000 a day. Cool. We do the math on it all of a sudden. Okay. So for the next three weeks, if your daily budget was 1750 calories, technically at the end of this month, you're still going to be at or under 56,000 calories, which means weight loss yeah right and again that's empowering because people can go on vacations and not think like oh i fucked it all up this yeah or like go on vacation and enjoy themselves because sometimes people think they have to like deprive themselves like if you're like when i go on vacation i'm there to eat like i am not messing around you know so it's like understanding things from that perspective i think having that flexibility too is what makes things sustainable for people because it's unrealistic to expect that you're just going to get like a piece of chicken and boil broccoli like every time you go on vacation, like that's ridiculous. I have a client. She's actually down in Florida. Funny enough. And two weeks ago, she was going to Nashville for a girl's trip. And she, so she had competed in bikini a couple years ago. And I mean, I, I don't coach in that realm. I don't, I don't have a lot of friends in that realm <laughs> for various reasons. 
Um, but so she's an interesting client to work with because a lot of it is, I mean, most of my coaching is more mindset coaching than anything. Cause the reality is that we can coach your mindset, your physical body is just going to change because of that. But so with her, she was going to Nashville for a girls weekend and she's been super stressed out the last couple of weeks. So she's like, what, what's your like, uh, like tips for like managing my calories and shit like this. And I was like, okay, first of all, like, why are you going to Nashville? And she was like, I'm just going to Nashville to have a good, like a, a girl's trip and just relax. And I was like, then do that. I'm not going to give you strategies to manage your calories and make sure you're yeah. eating, like fucking go and enjoy it because you're so stressed out right now that you need this vacation. You need this girls weekend to actually refresh yourself. So if you go there and you're trying to loosely count your calories, you're trying to make sure you're hitting X. It's not going to be a vacation. It's not going to be a vacation. So then you're going to come home. You're going to be more tired than the time you left. Right. So I was like, just go enjoy yourself. And then she went and enjoyed herself. And she's like, this is the best week I've had in a long time. And I was like, yeah, because you actually allowed yourself the space to relax and fucking chill the fuck out. Like, yeah, I, it, you don't have a bad, uh, a quote unquote bad weekend. So it's life. And again, this, I mean, if you're in the bikini world and that's your sport, obviously this is a different context. Cause like, if you're going to get on stage in two weeks and you're going to be comparing yourself to a girl that's standing beside you, that's also fucking ripped. Like, yeah, you're probably yeah. going to want to have a refreshing girls weekend two weeks before. Like it's a different, again, different general, different, different population for sure. But it's just a good way to like shift your perspectives that again, you can have weeks that are quote unquote terrible and just yeah. bounce back. Like, yeah. And think about how unrealistic it would be to expect that you'd be super disciplined 365 days of a year. Right? so unrealistic and again like if that's if that's what you want to do and i mean competing in bikini and becoming a professional bikini competitor is your goal then all the power to you but personally i'd rather be happy yeah <laughs> i'd rather be happy 365 days a year than be consistent yeah and it's funny because <laughs> i have a few friends that i know right now one of them is she's training for like a bikini competition the other one he's whatever the man, men's version is like just bodybuilding i guess yeah Um, but they're, they both talk about how miserable they are with what they're eating, like straight up miserable. And I'm like, I mean, that's great that they're trying to do that, but like, I, I could not do that. Yeah. And I mean, I have some, I have a bit of a sour taste with that sport. I dated a girl a bunch of years back who was a national bikini competitor and like seeing the toxicity in that sport from like the eating disorder standpoint, the negative self image, negative self worth, like in comparison, like. Well, and like, basically it's like a lot of them get into the mentality of like, if they're not what they are, if they don't look like what they do on stage, which is completely impossible because of the fact that you've done your water cut, you're dehydrated. You're not actually healthy, quote unquote, healthy on stage. You're actually incredibly depleted on stage, but then they get into the mindset that, well, if I'm not state, if I don't look like I was on stage, then I'm like fucking overweight. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, yeah, you're 10 pounds over your stage weight and your stage weight was just water. Like, what, what are you talking about? But again, that's the, that's the industry that is bikini and bodybuilding coaching, right? It's like, it's extremism to, it's so it. extreme. Yeah. It's crazy. And yeah. If that's what you want to do. Great. But that's not for me. No, definitely not for me either. I, <laughs> I love food way too much. <laughs> Even from a clientele standpoint, I had one girl, I mean, and again, it's not like my content online screams, like, come train bikini with me. Like that's yeah. pretty much the opposite of what my content yeah. is. But I had one girl about eight months ago ask if I would coach her through a competition. I was like, fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> fuck no. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm all set on that. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, this has been 
such an amazing conversation. I feel like we've covered, we really like got into everything. Like I really can go, got on, into I can go on tangent yeah. all day long. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I want to give you a chance to kind of like plug yourself and where people can find you if they want to work with you. If any, if anyone's neurodivergent and listening and wants to work with you, plug yourself away. Yeah. And that's I, kind of what I'm shifting my focus towards is actually just from the education that I put myself in the last couple of months since I got diagnosed with it. Cause it's again, like the word I kind of keep going back to is it's very empowering, especially if you're later in life getting diagnosed with it, because you just, you do, you lived your life this way and never really understood why you did the things that you did. Right. And again, especially if you were compartmentalized as like the bad kid in school, because you didn't pay attention or whatever, or your parents, like you're fuck, he's just hyperactive. And it's like, well, like what, did you do as a parent to like help the situation, right? Instead of just continuing to shit talking with being a bad yeah. student and enforcing his own or her own low self-worth. So by all means, if you are neurodivergent or you have questions, feel free to reach out. I am happy to talk. I send voice messages all the time and I'm, I just don't stop talking. So my <laughs> Instagram is at Max LaRock Fitness. I also run a podcast called the Two Guys, One Pup Podcast. My partner is um, in the UK. His name is Steve. He is great. Um, yeah, my website is maxlarockfitness.com. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm most active on Instagram, realistically. Um, my website does have a work with me option as well in there. Uh, but most active on Instagram, I love my podcast. I know we wanted to quickly touch on the podcast because you had asked earlier yeah. why I got into podcasting. So, I mean, well, I guess why I got into it. A large part is, so I'm currently working with Jordan Syatt as my business mentorship coach. And so his three big things is having either a blog, a YouTube channel, or a podcast for long-form content, and then being more organized and content pillaring. So pulling, I'm sure you're aware of this, right? Or like pulling from your long-form content to use that for your social media, because I kind of did it ass backwards and was like all social media and not doing long-form content. Oh. And so for me, like I'm still in the process of writing blogs and getting into blogging. But for me, with uh, being a personal trainer for 12 years, like if you've made it this far in the podcast, I'm sure you're aware, like talking is comes very naturally to me. So podcasting to me was a very natural way to produce long form content and not have to put a ton of pressure on myself to write more. I'm fine on video too. I just haven't gotten into the YouTube side of things, but so podcasting for me was very much, that was my easiest intro to long form content and my most natural. Um, that being said, podcasting has been one of the most therapeutic things I've ever fucking done in my entire life because it's essentially, I mean, really it's unguided therapy, right. Is what it is. Like you can, especially if you do solo episodes, like you do, Oh here, yeah. like if you have, you know, a loose idea of what you're going to talk about, and then you just start talking and you just flow, whatever comes out, comes out. Like there's been times where I've had to almost check myself where I'll be editing an episode and I'll have said something. And it's interesting. Cause it's like, I'll have said something in almost in a reactive state. And when I listen to it over, I'm like, do I actually believe that? Or was that a preconditioned thing that I may have used to believe that I don't actually believe anymore, but because I was in a more reactive state because of whatever Steve and I were talking about, it just kind of came out. And so it's actually allowed me to reflect immensely over the last five months of podcasting, just on like my beliefs, my core values, what I'm willing to put up with, um, kind of all the above. And like, I, I don't know, I've recommended clients to start like an anonymous podcast, an anonymous blog, because obviously self-expression is one of the most crucial elements of becoming 
a happy and fulfilled human. Because if you don't express yourself in some way, shape or form, like you're just suppressing that emotion and suppressing those thoughts, feelings, emotions that you want to get out. Right. And nothing fucking feels better than just letting it all out there. And to me, that's what podcasting is. Like it's natural. You get cool opportunities like this, where you meet someone on Instagram that you just shoot the shit with from Florida. Like, things like this that would just never happen if I wasn't podcasting. And I don't know, I recommend podcasting to everyone, whether you, whether you're doing it for the reason of trying to grow an audience or trying to actually grow a podcast or not. Like I've, I have five of my clients doing anonymous blogs right now because they didn't want to actually have their name behind it, but it was something that was allowing them to have an outlet to express their thoughts, feelings and emotions. Right. And again, it wasn't for the purpose of like, I want to have a 5 million views on the blog. It was like, I'm just going to have a blog, whether no one reads it or whether a million people read it, you get the benefit of getting it off your chest and just vocalizing it. And again, it really allows you to reflect on your thoughts and feelings and like not only validate them, but also again, constructively look at them and be like, again, maybe I used, maybe I thought like this for like 15 years, but I don't really believe this anymore. Right. So it's changed. It honestly has like changed who I am as a person. Uh, I mean, on top of a lot of other things, like the diagnosis between AD, with ADD reading when the body says no, when the body keeps or how the body keeps the score, all the scattered minds, all the above, like has changed who I am immensely. So I would highly recommend podcasting to fucking anybody. Yeah, I would too. And I think it's anonymous is a great idea. Like it's, it's so therapeutic. Like I also, so I'm doing this like 30 day challenge right now. And I kind of fell off of it a little bit, which I'm like, whatever. But so it's like, you vlog yourself for 30 days and you pretend you have a reality TV crew following you around. And even like vlogging is therapeutic is to just talk, like not have a structure, not have a plan, not have an end goal. I don't care if like one person watches my vlog or nobody. I'm like, I'm just going to document this point in time. And I would encourage people to vlog too. Like, even if you don't share it with anyone, just, it's almost like journaling. Cause you can just kind of like, look back even with podcasts and you can, I can listen to an old episode or you can listen to an old episode of yours and be like, that's where I was at that headspace. Like in that time that I was, you know, thinking about this and like, this was my opinion on that. And you can see how you've grown, um, in a much more candid way than if you're just like tracking, like the big things in your life. Like if you're just free flowing and expressing, like I look back at journals that I've had from years ago and I'm like, damn. Like <laughs> we've come a long way. It shows that progression, right? Like it's nice to yeah. have those tangible feedback markers of like, are you growing? Are you evolving as a, per- as a person? And a lot of people, when I tell them to write originally, like they, they think of like writing in school, right? Where it's like, again, sort of like you can't say, but at the beginning of your sentence and like bullshit like that, that like mm-hmm. prevents them from writing. And that's why I say like talking is something that it's just a very natural thing to do and like doing it without structure is going to be almost even more fun because, yeah like, whatever comes to mind is going to fucking come out mm-hmm. like this today there was I'd really like I had a few talking points but I was like and that's why I love interviewing the way that I do I don't even like using the word interview because it feels like interview like corporate like whatever but it's just like talking to people and just hearing their story and hearing where they're coming from and just seeing where it goes like it is therapeutic to just let it flow and it's just so cool being able to connect with just people all over the world this way. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? And like, that your co-host is in the UK too. How did that happen? We met off Instagram. Wow. <laughs> we met off Instagram and he, I think I followed him about a year and a bit ago and we had very similar content and it was um, November of this year, one day when I was just like, hey man, like, do you want to just like hop on a Zoom and just like shoot the shit? Like, I just have a couple questions on like how you run your online business. Um, and that was kind of it. 
And then we talked for like an hour and 45 minutes on Zoom. And it was like, why? Like, okay, clearly we can talk. Like, why don't we, why don't we do a podcast? And then it was like, yeah. shit, let's fucking do a podcast. And then we both joined the same mentorship with Jordan as well. So then it was that extra oh. reinforcement and accountability of like, yeah, okay, now we're doing this podcast. We're doing it yeah. together. Um, and I mean, especially like from the audience standpoint, that was a big draw was obviously like, A, we promote the same sort of content, the same sort of coaching. It's like, well, I'm in Canada, you're in the UK. Like we could both do this or we could just do this together and have our audience. It's grow. like cross-pollinating. Yeah, exactly. That much faster, right? Yeah, that's so awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. So I'm working on the vlogging. I'm just, I'm so bad with technology. Like I hate, I hate editing videos. Like, yeah. That's editing thing. is like the bitch work of content creation. And that's where like, I love the podcast because my podcast, I straight up don't edit. Like I, it's yeah. like talk post it's raw. And that's what I wanted to, to be, especially because we spoke, we speak a lot about like trauma-based fitness. Um, essentially like a lot of the things that we talked about today, but we want it to be raw. We don't want to have it where it's like, Oh yeah. Like super edited and, and, yeah. you know, put like, together. If yeah. I say something that I shouldn't have said, then we'll talk, well, I won't say that again. Right. But yeah. it's like, I don't want to take it out because I want it to be an actual conversation so that people can relate to it more. Cause I don't like, it's, I don't like the inauthentic podcast. Yeah. You can tell it was, I don't either. And you can hear when it's cut out. I'm the same way. Like I don't with this, like I don't edit. I just keep everything in. And even with my vlogs too, like some people slice them up. I'm like, I just hit record on the camera and I literally just fucking talk like, yeah. <laughs> That's the way to go. That's it. Yeah. Honestly. And I've learned in the past too, like a couple of commercials that we've done for our gym and stuff. Fuck me. If you give me a script, I am the most awful. Oh, really? Oh God. I cannot read a script to save my fucking life. <laughs> I like my person, my entire personality and persona changes as soon as I have words. Oh no. I didn't write down. It's yeah. Learned that the hard way. Any of our commercials now, like my business partners, Tony and Ty, like they'll follow their lines. And I'm like, ah, I'm just going to feed off what you guys say. Yeah. We can do this in 45 takes and it's going to be shitty or we can do it in one take and it's going to be great. <laughs> That's so funny. Some people are like that though. Like put a script in front of them or something like that. It's like during the headlights, like one, I think a little bit, honestly, I think it's like an ADD thing of like, I needed to be in my mind. If I'm reading it, it has to be perfect. Whereas if I don't have like the boundary of like, well, I can, I can say this or I can say this, then it allows me to just talk naturally and not feel like yeah. oh, I stumbled over my, my word. Like what? Yeah, and then you get frustrated at yourself. Like, Oh shit, I said this wrong. Or like, I didn't, you know, pause at this point or I mixed up this word, like ADD, yeah. low self-worth. And then it just like, spiraled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. That's so funny. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was amazing. This was such a good episode back after like taking such a hiatus from having guests on so yeah well thanks so much for having me that was a great time so if you ever want to do this again or we'll get you on uh, the two guys one pup podcast and we'll get you on yeah a little cross promotion here definitely 